isn't it good to be a part of a great team like Northwood Church? I'll tell you, it is. So many things happening in the life of the church. I'm glad that I don't have to be a bench warmer. My name's Casey. I'm the executive pastor here at Northwood Church. And on behalf of the lead pastor, Van DeCody and his wife, we're so excited that you're here. We want to welcome all of our guests who are watching online. So glad you viewed in today, as well as every guest that's here for their first time. Let's give a good, warm welcome to those guests today, church. Absolutely. We're excited that you're here. We're actually uh, coined this year the year of the Bible. Kind of, what a coincidence, huh? You know, we're pretty good theme, right, for the church, year of the Bible. And what we love about it is we're following the path of the one-year Bible. You can get a one-year Bible in our bookstore. You can get one uh, at any bookstore. You can download the app on your phone, version, and follow along with us. And it's basically a systematic reading plan that lasts the duration of a year. And so we're preaching out of that plan from week to week. And so as you're following along reading with us, you kind of, the messages will hit home a little bit better for you. And so we love what we're doing. And uh, I believe I have a word for you today. I really do. And so taking those readings, we kind of titled today's message, Every Habit Has a Harvest. Just you think about that for a minute. Every habit has a harvest or an outcome. You know, there's a pattern of sowing and reaping that we see in the Bible. Basically, you harvest what you plant. So you reap what you plant and our lives are actually constantly planting things, planting seeds, if you would. And our habits are the way we plant. And our habits really make up our lifestyle, how we live every day. We do a lot of things habitually all the time. And some quick facts about habits are that we are what we repeatedly do. That's really what makes us up is we are what we repeatedly do from a day-to-day basis. And we form habits And then our habits form us. So we personally form habits for many different reasons. And then our habits form us. And there's not always negative habits, right? So a lot of times when you think about habits, you're thinking about negative things. And this is not a message for you to go get on the treadmill so you can exhale. But most people have uphill hopes, but with downhill habits. That's a big statement there because I would say we all have uphill hopes. We all have aspirations. We all have dreams. We all have uh, things that we want to do. But guess what? Our habits are downhill. And how many know you're not going uphill if you're going downhill? It's not going to happen. And it takes about an average of two months, they say, experts say, to make or break a habit. How many people in here believe they have a bad habit? All right. 100%. That's good. Oh, yeah. Got a guy on the front row saying, really me. Happens to be a staff pastor. Help us, Lord. (laughs) There's bad habits, and and they kind of creep into our life. And, you know, I heard a story about a pastor one time counseling a young couple who had just gotten married, and the husband's complaint was, my wife doesn't want to kiss me any longer. And He looked at the wife and he says, is this true? She said, yes, I really struggle at kissing him. He said, can you expound on that a little bit? He said, well, every evening as he's watching television, he trims his toenails with his teeth. (laughs) So I just can't help to when I go to think about kissing him, I have a vivid picture in my head. (laughs) Young people, this is what you have to look forward to. 
in marriage. That's not me, by the way. I trim my nails with toenail clippers and I square them off so they don't mess up, you know. We all have bad habits, and the thing about kicking bad habits is it usually doesn't work unless it's a value of yours. Typically, when you have external pressure on you, you're not going to change as quick as if you have internal drive, internal conviction, something that causes you to be stirred in the inner man and woman, and that's a big deal. Now, I can be inspired by others. I can catch something for myself and take ownership of it, but it's not until I take ownership do I see change. My dad has a great statement. He says, there's only one spaceship that I can fly and you're looking at it. Tried to drive other people's spaceships and it just doesn't work. And so when we have this inner motivation or this inner drive or conviction, change is likely to happen. And we can tell a lot about ourselves when we look at what we do first. What we do first in every situation, and that really creates our values. What we do first is really what we value the most, and uh, sometimes our value has to change. And I've learned that as we put God first as our value, then all of a sudden our habits change. For me as an individual, I'm a doer. And so I have formed a habit over the last couple years of doing before praying. I don't know how many... Uh, men can say they've done that before, but I just like to do. I like to work. I like to get things done. And what I've found is that I actually run out of myself. And then I realize, hold up a second, I better go back and pray. I need God to do something here. But instead of praying first, I do first. And so that's a habit that I need to change fundamentally in my life. And you say, well, how could that happen to you? You're a pastor. Well, I'm a person. And uh, I, I have realized that I lost some of the fundamentals that I once had when I first gave my life to Christ, which really accelerated my transformation process. And so if I don't go back to some of those fundamentals and grasp them again, then I am going to stop moving forward. So I'm a doer, and I realize I need to be a prayer, and then I need to do. I need to pray, and then I need to do. And so we all have things that are literally entrenched at the neurological level. That's what habits do, and they form your behavior, and they can actually make or break your life. And so I'm going to give you three keys real quick. You're going to need to change these habits that we're going to get into. And number one is hope for the future. If you don't have hope for the future, then you're hopeless. And Proverbs says that hope deferred will actually make the heart sick. And so if I don't have hope operating for the future, I'm a sick individual on the inside. And the, the pinnacle of the future is eternity, by the way. And so as we are uh, eternal beings looking for a city whose maker is God, it's going to drive my habits now in the present time. So not just hope for the future in your job acceleration, your ladder of success, your new home, your career change, your education, but hope for the eternal future that you have will drive the present moment. We have to have hope for the future. Then we have to have repentance from the past. Repentance from the past because so many times the past is haunting the present. And if the past is haunting the present, it's going to immediately mess up your future. And so the word repentance is just making an adjustment and agreeing with God. So as Christ followers, when God 
changes something in our life or brings us to a place where we're aware of it, then we have the opportunity to make the adjustment. And making the adjustment is going to bring us to the next level. And it's simply the Bible word is repentance. Very positive. I need to make adjustments. I need, I need to be aligned, right? I need to be aligned and, and my balance needs to be right. And all the chiropractors said, amen. Uh, and so we, we have to be aligned. And there's something about God that he wants to align us with his purposes and uh, order our steps. But sometimes we have to repent from the past. And it was probably just this morning that you might need to repent from, right? God makes adjustments. We agree that's, a, that's repentance. And then last but not least, we have to be involved at forming new habits. We have to have for, a formation of healthy habits right now for the present. That means we have to roll up our sleeves co-labor with God and start getting dirty, right? Start getting our hands down into the soil of our life because in the kingdom of God, which is what we're in, magic is not real, but grace is and power from his spirit. So when I co-labor with God and get my hand dirty, I'm going to begin to form something new that otherwise wasn't there. A lot of times we just sing about it. God makes all things new and he's going to give you the ability to form something that's brand new that's never been made before in your walk with God. It's kind of like marriage. Me and my wife have a philosophy that says that, you know what? We're going to leave mother and father. We're going to be joined. It's actually God's philosophy, by the way. I'm just stealing it from him. We're going to leave mother and father, and we're going to be joined together, and it's going to be a new family. And so I'm bringing my good and my bad. She's bringing her good and her bad, and we're having to say, we're going to have to make a new gumbo here. <laughs> I like mine extra spicy. And so we're forming something brand new that's never been formed before, and it's very painful, Right? <laughs> I have a good marriage, by the way. Now, when is our anniversary, baby? No. We'll be married 12 years in June. We believe 12 is the number of order and government in the Bible, and that at the 12th year anniversary, we have reached perfection. So sometimes God gets you involved of forming something brand new that you've actually never seen lived out before you. Come on, somebody. You, you might have never seen this lifestyle lived out before you, but God intersects your life and he says, I want you to roll up your sleeves and I want you to get busy co-laboring with me and I'm gonna give you the ability to accomplish it and you're gonna form something brand new and that's what God does in our life and it's exciting so what you do first in all types of situations is most likely the habits you've formed. Just like I was saying, do I do first or do I pray first? Here's what Jesus said out of Luke chapter 6, verse 43. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. A tree is identified by its fruits. Figs never grow on thorn bushes, nor grapes on bramble bushes. Verse 45, a good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart, and an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. What you say flows from your heart. So, Father, we thank you, Lord, that God, we know that every habit yields a harvest. And so, Father, as we dial in on the harvests we want to see in our life and the habits that result in those harvests, God, I pray that you would help us as individuals 
God, that you would break open and crack open the eyes of our understanding so that we can become aware and choose Jesus and follow him in the process of transformation, God, so that we can be better stewards of our life, our short time and tenure on planet earth so that one day we can, you can say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. Amen and amen. Thank you, Lord. So every habit, every habit has a harvest. So we're talking about harvest. The first harvest we want to see here at Northwood Church and in my life and in your life is a harvest of health, a harvest of health. Health's a good word. People's been dialing into how to become more healthier throughout the ages. And I believe that spiritual health is paramount and that spiritual health can permeate the other areas of health in our life. I think first the spiritual, and guess what? All of a sudden things will start changing in the natural, in the practical, everyday living. That's why I said when we begin to tap into the inner convictions that comes from the spirit of God and the word of God, and we adopt them as our own and say, yes, God, I want that. All of a sudden it starts to produce health in our life. A formation of health or a harvest of health only comes through a habit of confession. Didn't think I was going there, did you? A habit of confession. It's a unique secret, really. It's not common to the law of humanism, right? It's common to people who are spirit-led because confession sounds so negative. It really does. I mean, when you think about confession, you automatically think negativity. You automatically think this is not going to work. But God has a way of doing things through the power of confession that brings spiritual health. And spiritual health will affect your emotional health. It will affect your psychological health. It will affect you as an individual, the wholeness of you, your mind, your will and emotions. God wants to make whole. He really does. He wants you not only to make it to eternity, he wants you to make it there healthy and whole. Really, it's the abundant life. It's really the plan of God. And a lot of times we fail to tap into all that God has for us because we fail in some habits, but we need a healthy habit of confession. In James chapter five, verse 16, it says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and it will produce wonderful results in our life. So I want to zero in real quick to this statement. You need the right righteous friends for confession so that you can have powerful results. The law of the inner circle states that those closest to you will determine your level of success. And so God put in a system of the law of the inner circle so that we can find righteous people. What does that mean? It's a big word. Righteous people means simply I'm a Christ follower, that my righteousness is not in myself because in myself I'm a, I'm a dirty dog, man. I ain't no good. I'm a wretch. I'm nothing. But in Christ, I become the righteousness of God in Christ alone. And so God put in place 
a law of the inner circle so that when I get around people, righteous people, who have been forgiven and redeemed by God, by a miracle, I can move in the operation of confession. And when I do that, they're going to pray for me and it's going to produce wonderful results in my life as an individual. Wonderful results. Oh yeah, exciting results. It might be painful for a second, but guess what? There's, there's a great crop coming in the future and there is a release of the spirit in your life. There's a miracle that takes place and that's why it's so important that we have an inner circle. Amen. Say, well, how do I get an inner circle of righteous people? Now, righteous doesn't mean perfection, by the way. I just shared with you, I do before I pray. Some of you stop listening to me because of that. You just got a religious spirit on you. you we'll, we're gonna pray for you at the end. <laughs> right? How do I get around righteous people? Well, we have small groups here and they're intuitive in the fact that they're just an environment that gives you the possibility of finding an inner circle so that you can move in the law of confession. You say, well, I don't like the small group I, I went to. Well, the small group probably didn't like you either. Oh, Bring some confession up in that small group and make it lively. <laughs> we have an old saying that if the stall is clean, the horse is dead. Some of you are going to get that right at lunch. <laughs> you got to have an inner circle around you, folks. Every Tuesday morning, the staff pastors get together and we pray for one another. We don't talk about church. You know what I'm saying? We don't talk about church. We don't talk about, we try not to. But we don't talk about that stuff. We say, how is your marriage? And what is one thing we can pray for you about? How is this chapter we just read affecting your life? What is something you're getting out of the Bible personally? And, and, and so confession is not just sin or struggles. I might have a struggle and I have a place where I can put it out there so that, so that people around me, I trust them and they can pray for me. You say, well, what do I do if I broke my trust? Rebuild your trust. See, there's no way to escape vulnerability. Even Jesus, the greatest leader of all times, had a Judas. But that didn't cause him to stop affecting people and making himself vulnerable and building a team. Come on, somebody. So you have got to find that inner circle. We do small groups here, but it's not the all end, right? And it might just be three people and that's enough. Righteous people to move into confession that leads to healing, that leads to, guess what? Transformation and wonderful results in your life as an individual, or you can... Keep up with the harmful habit of concealment. Concealment. I believe that as people, typically our default setting is concealment. I mean, even as a little kid, come on, some of you have little kids, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> don't touch that cookie or, or don't do it. And they eat that cookie and they, and they, where's the cookie? I don't know, but there's crumbs all over their face. It's something in us. We call it the sin nature, but it's humanism. It's, it's, it's people. And if we don't change our default setting from concealment to confession, then we're just going to run around with cookies on our mouth all the time. 
Concealment is really a tactic of our enemy. We do have an enemy. There, there, there is an enemy, not just the man and the woman in the mirror, though they're the greatest enemy, I believe. <laughs> myself is one of the... Lord, deliver me from myself. <laughs> Please, Lord. I don't want to give the devil too much credit because I got a lot of work to do. But nevertheless, we have an a, 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 a enemy. He roars like a, a, a lion, and he's looking for people to devour. And part of his devour mechanisms is concealment. Now, concealment is rooted in fear. Nothing else but fear. We conceal things because we're afraid. We, we, we're afraid, and fear has many tentacles. And, and, and we've been taught in other organizations maybe that we've been a part of. Uh, we've been taught through the model of humanism and society, and, and we're programmed. But how many of you know that God wants to reprogram you? God wants to reboot you. That's why it says that when I receive Christ, behold, all things become newer of God. That's why the psalmist says that I was in a miry pit and God reached down and took me out of that miry pit and he put me on a solid ground and put a new song in my heart. That's called he reprogrammed my heart and now I'm giving praises to God. And many people will see and put their trust in him because of that, because God did something new on the inside of me and because God did it, it catapulted me to transformation. And it wasn't necessarily anything that I read in the book or what the preacher said. It was something that happened when I encountered Jesus that he said, I want to reprogram you, Casey. I said, come on, I need it. You know what I mean? So God wants to take the program of concealment and change that and bring it to a, a, a program of confession so that you would be healed, so that you would be set free, so that you would be catapulted to the next level. Some of you can't go to the next level because you're operating in concealment, and until you operate in confession, you're going to be stuck in the mud, and you're going to get tired. This is what happened to the psalm, psalmist when he practiced the harmful habit of concealment. Psalms chapter 32, verse three says, when I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away and I groaned all day long. His energy was leaving him. You feeling lethargic? Don't try a diet pill, try confession. Concealment will actually lead to sickness of the soul. It really will. The mind, the will, and emotions. And we know that affects the physical health of a person. So we can't be motivated by fear any longer. We've got to be motivated by faith and obedience and find the inner circle. And remember, isolation is your enemy. If you're ever tempted to isolate yourself, and it can be subtle isolation, I think I'll just start watching church online, period, because I can hear the word of God and grasp it and put it in my pocket. That's fine. I, I'm good. I'm good. You're fooling yourself. We need people around us as individuals. So fear and concealment starts to operate subtly till it can lead you to a place of full isolation. If you're ever tempted in that area, remember, get the, get the fire extinguisher out, let the alarms go off and say, no, I'm going to do the opposite. The opposite is obedience. 
and power and following God. Let's see the progression of the psalmist's life. He said, I groaned all day. Then what did he say? He said, enough's enough. Psalms 32, verse 4, day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy, heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. He said, I'm, I'm exhausted. Finally, how many of you have come to that place? Finally, finally, how many times uh, over and over again, we as people get to that place that says, finally, basically, I'm at the end of my strength. I'm at the end of my resources. I'm at the end of my analytical power. I'm at the end of my uh, status. I'm, I'm at the end of everything, finally. And how many know that's a great place to be, finally? Somebody say, well, why did it take you all that time to finally get there? I don't know. But I know I'm in good company because I see other people in the Bible Sometimes when we're working out our salvation with fear and trembling, there's going to be times where we, where we kind of curve off a little bit and, we, and things are not working quite like they should. And I've been resisting what the Spirit of God wants to do in my life. And I finally start running out of energy and strength. But then because I remember that God is for me, not against me, I hit my knees and say, finally, Lord, finally. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord. And guess what? What happens right then? He forgave me and all my guilt is gone momentarily. Bam. Next harvest we want to see is a harvest of miracles. A harvest of miracles. We need miracles, man. I need a miracle. You need a miracle. People need miracles. And without miracles, all we have is human power. And, 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 and in order to have miracles, we have to have a habit of faith. We have to possess a habit of faith. And our faith has to be anchored in eternity, first of all, and in Christ alone. I love 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Basically, it's what he's saying is your life's not going to last very long on planet Earth. And so whether you die with troubles or die without troubles, they're going to be short because we're, we're moving on to the next level. We're going to a new level. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them all and will last forever. Now, our troubles, our present troubles can and have the ability to basically produce for us a glory that outweighs the troubles, this eternal glory. But in order for us to have our troubles create an eternal glory, we have to have the habit of faith because I've seen troubles actually destruct people's lives. That's why it's so important that you have the law of the inner circle of people around you because guess what? Jesus said, in this lifetime, you're gonna have many troubles. And everybody said, amen. amen. You know how it is, man. We're people. You know, we're imperfect people. Things happen. We don't understand. Those troubles are going to come. But if we allow those troubles to produce perseverance in us, if we allow those troubles to transform us, the only way we can do that is having faith in God, not in our troubles. And having faith in God will allow us to yield to what God wants to do on the inside of us, where there can be transformation, where we can actually get something out of these troubles because we hate them. I hate them. I hate troubles. But man, if I'm going to go through troubles, which I am, I better find out something I'm going to get out of it or I'm just going to lose every time. So 
They can produce something for you, verse 18. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on the things that cannot be seen for the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever ever and ever. So faith sees the invisible. Faith sees the invisible. And it's the doorway to miracles. And we gotta have miracles because miracles is the divine operation that transcends what is normally perceived as the natural law. It cannot be explained upon any natural basis and God does it. That's the type of miracle I'm talking about. That's what we need. You know, I can move the chair, but there's some things I can't do. And what I am endeavoring to do as an individual is I do everything that I can according to his place in his power and in my own human ability, then I serene, I serenity to the rest. Say, God, you got the rest. I'm gonna be active in the process, but God, I'm believing you for a miracle. We need miracles and faith is the substance. It's the material of things hoped for and the evidence of things we have yet, not yet seen. It's the evidence, it's the material. So what is the evidence of the unseen? Faith, faith, gotta have it. If not, we got unbelief, a harmful habit. Unbelief is a harmful habit. It will crouch at your door all the time and it will look for the most opportune moment when you're tired, when you're struggling, right? When there's things going on that you can't explain. Doubt and unbelief will come knocking at your door. Knocking at your door. We just prayed about it as a staff, remembering what God did yesterday so that it'll give us faith to believe God what he's gonna do today and tomorrow. And so that's why it's so important that we remember that God is faithful. Because if not, unbelief is our enemy. Jesus said it in Matthew chapter 13, verse 58. He did only a few miracles because of their unbelief. You say, well, what do I do, Casey, if I have unbelief? Tell the Lord you have unbelief. Say, so that sounds too simple. Absolutely. The disciples said, help us in our unbelief. Doubting Thomas, God, Jesus had to say, Thomas, come on over here. Put your finger through the hole of my hand. I, you still think you're seeing illusions and you're not on any psychedelic uh, poison right now. Come touch this hand, my friend. This is it. This is it. Some of us are like Thomas. You know, you, it's like, God, we need, that's okay, man. Struggle in faith and let God build you up in due season. He will. The next harvest is the harvest of growth. We want a harvest of growth in the church. We want a harvest of growth in our life. And the only way to do it is through intentional living. Unless we're intentional, growth is not going to happen. How many of you know growth is not automatic? It's not going to happen unless we're intentional. And we have to be intentional in taking our next steps. Period. We have to be intentional in taking our next steps. Everybody has next steps to take. I have next steps. I was praying for a gentleman in a small group. Uh, we had a small group meeting, and he said, look, pray for me on, on, the, on the next chapter in my life. You know, he's aging. He's an older man. He said, look, pray for me because I know there's something God has for me to do that, that, that might last for the next 10 years as I'm looking into the final seasons. Everybody has a next step no matter what age you're in, no matter what bracket, no matter what season. And when we open ourselves up to take next steps and say to the Lord, God, I wanna be intentional. 
I, I, I don't want to be diluted. I want to be intentional. And this is my prayer. This can be your prayer. God, show me the things that I need to be intentional about and the rest I have to leave behind. Sometimes we take false responsibility for everything and we're not going anywhere. But there is some things that you can dial in on that I believe the Lord would have for you to dial in on. And when you do that, you can be intentional and start taking your next steps. These early disciples did that in Luke chapter five, we see them. Verse 10, his partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee were also amazed. Jesus replied to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. That's a big next step, right? They were catching fish and Jesus said, look, you're gonna catch some people now. And as soon as they landed, here it is, they left everything and followed Jesus. That's for you. That's for me. We leave everything. What's everything? The things that we're doing now that God doesn't want us to do. That's why I said my prayer is, Lord, what area do you want me to follow you in so I can be intentional about it so that you can get the greatest return on your investment into my life and the investment was Christ dying on the cross. I don't want to be diluted. I want to be concentrated. And because of that, I have got to be spirit-led. And when I'm spirit-led, that means I hear the voice of God as an individual, and it doesn't have to be complicated. And when I decide to obey the voice of God, growth happens and intentional living happens. Come on. Yeah, hey, pretty exciting. And it's available for you as an individual when you get serious with God. You can take your next steps. One of our emphasis here for the next three weeks leading up to Easter is we want people to know God. By the way, is our vision statement to help people know God. And so we want to identify three people as individuals, three people that you know needs to know God, just like you need to know God. I want you to think about that right now because we're going to pray for those three people. Next week, we're going to invite those three people. And the following week, we're going to pray that they show up at our Easter service and that God impacts their life. I want you to think about those three people. You might want to take out your smartphone and open up your note application. You might want to jot those three down. By the way, if you don't jot them down or put them somewhere, most likely you're not going to be intentional about praying for them. That's just the way it goes, folks. And, 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 and sometimes we might not have a great passion for the loss, but when we begin to exercise the habit of being intentional and taking our next steps, God activates us. So think about those three people right now. Write them down. I'm gonna pray for them. Father, in Jesus' name, we pray for those three people. We pray for them, whether it's a family member, whether it's a coworker, whether it's a student in our classroom, whether it's a neighbor in the neighborhood. God, we're praying for those three people. And I believe, God, that we are the miracle you wanna use. I believe that those three people that you put in our heart, God, you wanna use us as an instrument to reach them for you. We can pray all day, but sometimes we got to pray and then do. We got to put feet to our prayers, Lord. So we lift up those three people to you right now, and we're asking that you begin to touch their lives, Lord. God, we pray that you would use us and activate us. God, we don't want to be consumeristic Christians. We want to be activated Christians out in your harvest, God, because it's great. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus said in Luke chapter 10, verse 2, these were his instructions. These are his instructions. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. By the way, this scripture is for you and me. Jesus is looking at us today, by the way. This is not a history lesson. Let me help us. 
Jesus is telling you right now, if Jesus was to materialize and stand before you, he would look you in the eyes with eyes of fire. He'd say the harvest is great and the workers are few. So pray to the Lord of harvest who's in charge to send more workers into his field. If we live intentional, we'll be in his field. If not, we'll plateau. A harmful habit of plateauing is where we can find ourselves. Nobody wants to plateau. We have to stop making excuses and start making adjustments. And God will meet us right there in that adjustment. I can promise you that. And he'll breathe on you and he will help you. God's heart is for the one person that's out there that doesn't know him yet. We see Jesus disclosing the heart of God in a parable out of Luke chapter 15. He told him, he told him this story. He said, look, everybody, if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. That's what he'll do. And when he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over the one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over the 99 who are righteous, who are not astray. That tells me that God's heart is for the one. God's heart is for the one. Would you bow your heads with me right now? Some of you might be that one. I'm telling you right now, some of you might be that one. God leaves the 99. The Holy Spirit leaves the 99, right? We leave the 99 and we go after that one. And God loves you so dearly. God loves you so greatly and, and his eyes of fire are looking at you and he says, you're that one. I wanna put you on my shoulders and I wanna carry you back home. I'm gonna pray a prayer right now and if you say, you know what? I'm that one, I know I'm that one and Jesus is looking at me. I'm gonna pray a prayer and you're gonna agree with me that prayer, but let's ask you just put your hand up and put it right back down. Say, I'm the one. God loves me. Thank you, sir, for your hand. I see your hand, ma'am. Sir, I see your hand right there. That one, see your hand over there. Yes, sir. That one, God sees you. God sees you. You're that one. You're the apple of his eye. Yep, there's another hand right there. God sees you. There's another hand. The, the love of God is so powerful that your heart's breaking and you're saying, I'm the one, Lord. Who else in here says, that's me? I'm the one. Ma'am, I see your hand. Yes, yes, ma'am, I see your hand right there. Yes, ma'am, I see your hand right there. I see your hand back there, sir. I'm the one. I need Jesus God loves me so much. He's leaving the 99. He's coming after me. You're going to say, yes, Lord, I'm the one. That's what you're praying right now. Lord, I'm the one. Rescue me, God. Rescue me, God. Put me on your shoulders and bring me back home, God. I repent. I turn from my sin, Lord. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Holy Spirit, come live inside of me. Make me the person you want to be, God. Thank you that your compassion was for me, that your compassion is for the one. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. Come on, let's give it up for those people who prayed that prayer.
If you just made that decision, let me be the first to say congratulations. The decision to follow Christ is just the beginning of your relationship with God, and we'd love to help you with your next few steps. If you'll text the word SAVED to 51660, we want to send you a link to our website that'll explain a little more about the decision you just made and give you some steps to take so that you can grow in your new relationship with God. We're one church in multiple locations. We have a campus in Gulfport, Wiggins, and in Long Beach, Mississippi. If you're in one of those areas, we'd love to see you at one of our live services. You can visit our website, northwood.tv, for service times and directions. If you'd like to give to this ministry, you can do that online as well. Just go to northwood.tv give, or you can text the amount you'd like to give to 228-215-3421. Again, that's 228-215-3421. Standard data rates and text charges may apply. Thanks for joining us today. We'll see you next time.